You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here. So, a few years ago, I was going to a conference with some of our pastors here on staff. One of our pastors gets dropped off at the airport, and this is the pastor who bought the tickets and all that. And so the rest of us, I was picking up, and then I was driving to the airport. I was going to leave my car so we could all drive back together. So the day that we bought our tickets, the one pastor who was my assistant at the time, um, I was telling him that flying out of Fort Lauderdale is better than flying out of Miami, and which you know that to be true also, because Miami is like that scene from the movie Men in Black where all the aliens were leaving the planet. It was, it's just like that. So anyway, so we all agreed that Fort Lauderdale was better. Well, anyway, the morning of the flight, he sends me all of the flight info, you know, the digital boarding pass that you put in your phone and, and all that. And so we, we head to the airport. Now, we're running a little bit late. It's raining really hard in a way that it can only rain in Miami. And, um, and so he sends me a text. He says, hey, you're cutting it a little close. And I said, hey, there's nothing I can do. It's raining like crazy. And he sends me a picture. He says, really, the sky is clear at the airport. And uh, at this point, I'm at about 595, and I'm getting close to I-95. So I'm getting pretty close to the airport. And Pastor George, who you know is our worship leader, I say, I have this feeling, and I say, George, send him a text and ask him what airport he's at. And so he res- George says, he says Miami. And uh, anyway, I cut off three lanes of traffic to get on I-95 South because I'm 30 minutes away from the airport and my flight leaves in an hour. So once I get on 95, my next order of business is to yell at him for booking, sending me to the wrong airport, which he denies. And he says, I sent you all the flight information and it said Miami. And I said, yeah, but we all decided that day that Fort Lauderdale was better. And he says, and I agree that Fort Lauderdale was better, but that doesn't change the fact that we bought the tickets from Miami and I sent you all of that info. And I said, do not sass your pastor. And so anyway, so there's also another little problem that we have that I didn't realize until we were driving, and that is I got all the way to the left into that, you know, those speed lanes that they made on I-95? I get into one of the speed lanes, and Pastor George says to me, he says, hey, listen, uh, when you're in the speed lane, it doesn't open up before you get to the airport. It opens up after when you're closer to downtown. And uh, so we're going to have to get off downtown and turn around. I said, there's no time for that. He says, there's no way. What what are you going to do? And I said, George, listen, God will make a way where there is no way. And if God does not make a way, those little plastic strips don't stand a chance against my car. And um, well, this makes George very nervous. And so he's like, what what, what are you going to do? I'm like, George, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of it. And then, and so then it says, you know, airport, two miles. And he's like, uh, okay, it's two miles. I mean, what, what are you going to do? I'm like, dude, it's fine. I've got it taken care of. And then it's airport, one mile. And he's like, but no, this is, doesn't, know. I don't know what you're going to do. And I'm like, dude, just relax. It's all fine. And so and then it says, you know, half a mile. And then he's like, okay. And he starts holding on to the dashboard of my car. And he's like, all right, 
you do what you're going to do, but you're getting close. Anyway, if you ever drive down that and uh, driving down 95 and you see an opening in those strips right before the airport, you're welcome. So, uh, but I'm telling you, this is what happens uh, and, and our lives look like this so often, worrying about things that never end up happening. And for some of us, listen, this idea of worrying is such a huge challenge. For some of us, not a big deal, uh, others of us. And if you're married, I can assure you of this. One of you is a worrier and the other is phased by nothing. And uh, like they, this per, like the person, if you're a worrier, you're married to someone who has never been worried about anything in their entire life. And in fact, if you're the worrier, you worry about that. That's like, they don't worry about that, and that is a worry to me. And, uh, and so that creates a different problem. And this is really uh, at the heart of what we're going to talk about in our time together. And that because what we worry about reveals what our core devotions are. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, my kids aren't worried about the bills in my house getting paid. Uh, isn't that weird? They don't worry about that at all. In fact, they're so not worried about it, they've never even thought about it. Um, and I'll go on on a limb to say that's probably the same thing is true at your house too. Where that's why your kids will go outside and they'll just leave the door open. And they're like, it's so hot out here, we need to air condition the outside too. And, and they, just, you know, they, they have no context of FPL and what that costs or doesn't cost. And, 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 and why, why is that? It's because they're not focused on it. They're not devoted to your FPL bill. That's why they don't listen when you tell them they got, that they got to close the door. And, and it's the same reason why we as parents, we've got concerns for other people's kids, but we don't worry about them in the same way that we worry about our own kids because our worries reveal what our core devotions are. And so the question is, and this is, the, this is really at the heart of what we're going to talk about, is, is, is how do we stop worrying about all of these things? And, and Jesus is going to show us because there's a gift that Jesus wants to give us. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 14. He says it this way, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This peace that Jesus gives to us sometimes comes in a, just a supernatural way. And if you've ever been through maybe a season of loss and uh, you lost someone close to you, this, there, there's a supernatural peace that God will give you in moments like that. There's also times where this peace comes in almost a very natural way when we change our focus and we change our devotion. And, and, and this second one is really at the heart of what Jesus is going to talk about in this section of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. And it says this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at in relation to worry. And the first is this, if you're a note taker, and that is that I need to be honest about why I worry. The, wor the, the word worry that we that we use is, is more than just, the, the word that Jesus uses is more than just an emotional angst. 
that we would maybe define as worry. It refers to, this Greek word, it refers to being pulled in several different directions. And once again, what Jesus reveals is uh, what the true nature of why we worry in these verses. And you see, he says, it. he says, you know, you're worried about what you eat, what you drink, your body, what, what you'll wear. And, and what it really reveals is two things in particular that we're going to look at. And the first is this, if you're a note taker, it reveals, number one, our security. Because the issue isn't food per se. Even though in this culture, food was a, a, it was a bit more involved uh, in, in getting food, and food is a little scarcer. But Jesus is revealing that when we worry about food, we're worrying about not having enough to meet our needs. And the key is, is that Jesus is telling us that it's changing our core devotions from depending on wealth to depending on God. Now, one of the challenges that we have that I have in teaching, that you have in listening, is that we have to stop at certain places because apparently you guys have other things to do, all right? And so it's like, they won't let me teach three, four-hour sermons as much as I would enjoy that, but you guys aren't into that quite as much, and that's okay. And so what happens is, is that we'll stop. And so last week, we, we were taking the Sermon on the Mount, and we stopped at verse 24, where Jesus says, and I put it in your notes, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon, or God and money. And then we stopped. But this section picks up on that, where he says, therefore, he's connecting it, that we, are, we worry about not having enough. And it comes in this idea of who we're going to serve, God or money. And so it, it This issue is either going to fuel our worry or it's going to release it because Jesus knows, and that's why he's drilling down on this topic, he knows that our natural tendency is to worry about not having enough. And so when it comes to financial matters, our natural reaction is to hold on to it and try to find security in money, uh, which it never brings because money can't bring security. And and here's what I've learned, which I'm sure has what you've learned as as you've lived life and talked to people. And that is that when you don't have any money, you long for more money. And, and you, the more you worry about it and think about getting more, you think that that's going to bring security. And then you think the people who have a lot of money, they must not have any worries. Well, that's just not the case. You talk to people who have a lot of money, they have tons of worries because now they have money and their worry is that someone is going to take what they have from them. And this is the problem with trusting in money. It's an issue of security. And what we have to do is change our core devotion from trusting in money to trusting in God. The other issue is what he says, uh, what we put in number two in your outline, is our legacy. And, and what, what he means by that is, you know, that, that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So when we try to say, but man, but I just, you know, what, what do we do with, with our, our body? And so I, 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 I've done this for probably the last, I don't know, a good while, six, seven months now. Uh, I, I try to exercise every day. Now, I know that comes as a shock to most of you because you're like, really? You look like you never get out of bed. Uh, and so, but uh, what I found is something that I really like to do. And what I really like doing is walking. And uh, so I walk three miles every day, seven days a week with a 30 pound backpack on my back. And it is totally miserable. And I love it. And, uh, and, and honestly, every morning, and I don't know if you do the people who exercise do this, but every morning I wake up and I tell myself, I'm not doing it today. I'm, I'm on a streak of like, I don't know, 150 days in a row. And I'm like, today the streak ends. And I'm saying that as I'm putting on my sneakers 
and grabbing my hat and grabbing my AirPods. And, and then I'm like, I am not doing this as I grab my keys and walk out the door. And then, uh, and then I'll say, you know what, though? I'm just going to walk a mile, and then I'm coming home. And then I'm like, well, if I'm already out, I may as well do two. And then I do two. Well, you know, I'll just do three. And then by the time I get home, I'm like, man, I feel great. I'm going to do this every day. And then the next morning, it's just like, this is, I'm not doing this. You know what I mean? I do this every day. Now, initially, I started running, and that was horrible. And so I stopped. And people, I have, you know, there's so many people in the church that are runners, and they would tell me, like, oh, you just got to keep going. Wait till you get the runner's high. <laughs> runner's high never came. Uh, runner's cramps showed up every day. And that was the thing. And then, and then I read this passage in Proverbs. It says this. It says, the wicked run when no one is following them. And I just said, this ain't biblical. I'm out. I'm out. So, and I'll tell you, when I used to run, though, I'll say, I, I, would, I would run. And I, and I would say to myself, I'm not adding one minute to my life by doing this. And, uh, and I know people say, that's not true. Healthy people live longer. Uh, listen, healthy people live as long as they're supposed to. And uh, no matter how many squats I do, I'm not going, I'm not lasting one day beyond my expiration date. And, and that's just the reality. And so like, I'm not getting to heaven and telling God, no, I'm not supposed to be here. I did crunches. So send me back. And God's going to be like, they were Nestle's crunches. So relax. So point taken. So, uh, and so, and, and I know, that the, and, and once again, people take this to such an extreme. They're like, so what you're trying to tell me is that if it's not my day, I could jump off a building and I would live. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you jump off a building, today's your day. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So, but I, I love it in the New Living Translation. It says it like this. I put it in your notes. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if you say that, and just to kind of complete the idea, what, so what's the point of working out and eating healthy because actions have consequences and and eating healthy and exercising impacts your life and by and large people who eat right and exercise generally speaking live longer and once again also because we're called to honor our bodies and according to first corinthians 6 treat it like a temple many times i treat mine like a temple that's undergoing an expansion project and uh we're adding a new wing to the glory of god and uh so but Listen, but I will say this, while the number of our days is up to God, I really do believe that God has given us a say on the quality of life that we live. And I really believe that that's part of the benefit of exercising and eating right. But listen, worrying doesn't give us more life. Instead, it actually robs us of life. And there's so many people who have just literally worried themselves to death. Uh, There was a study that was done years ago, it's probably 20 years old now, but the University of Cincinnati did this study, and here's what they discovered. 40% of what most people worry about never happens. I mean, 40% of what people wor- most people worry about never happens. 30% of what people worry about is stuff that has already happened and cannot be changed. 22% of our worries regard problems which are beyond our control. And then 8% of what we worry about are situations over which we have any type of influence. And every time I start feeling that, or I start feeling some level of anxiety, I start thinking this, is, this, is there anything here that I can exert some level of influence and change? And if I can, then I want to, hey, let's, let's get to work and do something. And if it's not, I've got to redirect my focus. And it, because a lot of times, listen, we just start thinking about things that aren't helpful to us. 
You ever get a pain and start researching that pain online? That's not wise. It's like the worst idea ever. You know why? And um, because more than likely, you're not a doctor, nor am I. And you're trying to put together facts based on what other people who are also not doctors have had to say. And so, you know, you've got this, I've got this spot on my skin and I'm positive it's cancer. And then, you know, then you go on these forums and you read the comments of people who are also not doctors and also have some weird growth happening. And they're telling you what they think that is. And so it's like, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I think it's cancer. And, you know, some person that lives in Wichita, they told me they think it is too. And so it, it's just... You know, this is the thing that is amazing to me. We would never do this in real... We do crazy things online that we would never do in real life. Perfect strangers are giving us medical advice. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, uh uh-huh, I'm going to do that immediately. Where do I order that on Amazon? Will they drop ship? You know what I mean? And, And it's like, but if I was walking down the street and some guy was like, hey, what's that on your arm? Can I take a look at it? Sure. So, Oh, yeah, uh huh. Are you a... um are you a doctor? No, no, I swing a hammer for a living, but this does not look good. And it's like, but, and then it's like, okay, well, tell me what I should do. And the, no, we would never do that. We'd just tell the guy to go away and we'd file a restraining order. And, but we do this. I, I have a friend, this is a true story. I have a friend who was convinced he had skin cancer because he had a spot on, on, on his arm. And uh, all the medical forums had confirmed his suspicions and so I was talking to him, and he's like, man, I, I think I have skin cancer. And, uh, and I said, what did the doctor say? He goes, well, I haven't gone to the doctor. And, uh, and I'm like, but you went to WebMD, right? And uh, he's like, well, yeah. And, and so I'm like, well, you just go to the doctor. Well, he goes to the doctor, and the doctor looks, <laughs> the doctor looks at, I wish, there's just certain things that I just wish I could be a fly on the wall. But he, the doctor looks at him, and he's like, look, I, I think I have skin cancer, and you can see it. It's really bad. And he shows him a picture of what he saw online, which is some, you know, some like gangrene, something or other. And the guy's like, uh-huh, okay. And the doctor comes over, takes a little bit of lotion, puts it on there, and he goes, you're cured, get out of here. And, uh, and this guy had a new lease on life. He called me, I'm telling you, it was, he was a changed man because he went from knocking on death's door to needing to moisturize uh, a little more just in a matter of 15 minutes. And it was, it was amazing. And, uh, but this is the thing that happens is that when we, we just, we worry about stuff, we start thinking about stuff that we shouldn't, and it never leads somewhere good. Well, Jesus goes on. Look at verse 28. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he, not, uh, uh, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you, of little faith? Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Uh, the second thing is, when we talk about, I need to know why, I need to be honest about why I worry. The second thing is this, is I need to change my focus to eliminate worry. And this is really at the heart of what Jesus is talking about. A couple of years ago, uh, a few years ago, I, t- I took my kids to uh, Disney World. And we were at the Magic Kingdom because we we're going to ride It's a Small World because, you know, why not have a song stuck in your head for a month? And uh, so the kids get in line, Carrie and the kids get in line, and I go and park the stroller. And if, you're, if you've been to the Magic Kingdom over the last few years, you know that right next to the uh, It's a Small World is Rapunzel's Tower, which 
Kids are always so excited to get to Rapunzel's tower until they find out it's a restroom. And uh, like, oh, what can we, you know, can we ride anything? Well, there's seats, but they don't go anywhere. And uh, so anyway, so I park the stroller and I get in line. My family's a little bit ahead of me, um, but I, I, get, I get very interested in the conversation that the, and this is probably wrong, but I did it anyway, but um, I got the family in front of me were having a very intense conversation. I wanted to know the resolution so I just hung out with them for a little bit until, and then I figured after I'd find my family who were a little further in line. So anyway, it's this guy talking to his wife and his kids, and there's another woman there that I think is his mother-in-law. And uh, she says to him, well, I just figured you knew what I was doing. And apparently that's the one thing you don't say to that guy, because he completely blew a gasket right there, and uh, he just let loose. And he starts yelling at this woman. He's like, we don't know what you're doing. We can't know your plans if you don't tell us. And your lack of communication is stressing all of us out. And he's totally making a scene. This has become like the pre-show uh, to before you get on the little boats. And, um, and he turns around because I'm, I'm like, uh-huh. you know, because I'm, I'm pretty close. And so he turns around to look at me and he's wearing a shirt that says Hakuna Matata. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't think you realize that your shirt means no worries for the rest of your days. <laughs> that it is a commitment to a problem-free philosophy. And, uh, and, and so anyway, and, and so, so then uh, I just, you know, waited and, and um, found my family. And uh, so uh, last year, we go to Orlando. We didn't go to the parks or anything, but we just went to Orlando. But for me, I haven't been to Orlando until I go to Disney Springs and I go to Ghirardelli Chocolate. That's kind of, and everybody has kind of their own rituals, but I go to Ghirardelli's Chocolate and I get the world famous hot fudge sundae. And it's like, well, why do you get that? Because it's world famous. You could go anywhere in the world and speak to them about this hot fudge sundae because everyone knows it because of the fame globally. So anyway, so I go there, we get the ice cream, we're sitting outside of Disney Springs, and uh, there's, my wife and I love to do this, and I love this, this is like, this, it's such great entertainment and it's totally free. You just sit somewhere and just watch people, because people are just so weird, and, uh, and they just do crazy things, and so I, I just, my wife and I, well, this is, well I, I, could, I could sit and watch people, I mean, forever, and so... We see this guy, and my kids are there too, and we're all talking, and I see this guy, and uh, he walks by, and he is yelling and cussing at his family, because, you know, it's the happiest place on earth. And, uh, and then I, he turns around, and he's wearing a Hakuna Matata shirt. And I'm thinking, I, I'm starting to think they only give these shirts out to people that have anger problems. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm telling you, you go there, and you're like, hey, I'd like to buy this shirt. And they're like, are you at least partially homicidal? It's like, I'm ready to snap. <laughs> Here you go. Enjoy the irony. And uh, so, but here's, the, but here's the thing. Worry is a skill. And, and you don't realize it has just come so naturally that when you just keep mulling things over in your mind from every possible angle and perspective until you've made yourself sick, that's a skill. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been so worried that you couldn't eat? I never have. I've, I'm told there are people who are. But I wish... I wish that was my go-to. It's just like, man, Bob, you've gotten so thin. What are you doing? Dude, I got so much on my mind. And uh, I'm like, wow, I'm writing a book. All my problems. And so, and, uh, but now maybe you've had this. You, you ever been so stressed out you eat food that's terrible for you? 
right? Yeah, we do that. And uh, that, that is my goat. That's the lane I live in. And uh, so, because nobody gets stressed out. And it's like, I am so stressed out. Where's the cauliflower, the kale? And then where's the treadmill? You know, nobody's doing that because that would actually help. Instead, what we do is we're, like, we're so stressed out. And they're like, what do you want to eat? I want an entire pizza for myself and French fries. And I want to water it down with a 48-ounce milkshake. And then we'll eat later. And, uh, and, and, and because it's just, it's just, it's what we do. Uh, there's this passage in Proverbs that I love. This is from the message, which is a paraphrase. And sometimes it really gets it right. But it says this, a sound, mi- a sound mind makes a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. Emotional decisions, listen, are usually the ones that we end up regretting. So instead of just mulling it over, uh, through worry with this thing. We just keep mulling it over, putting it on the rotisserie wheel, and how do we look at it from every angle? You know what we can do instead? And it involves the exact same skill. We can do this, meditate on Scripture, which is the exact same activity, except the perspective has shifted. You know, when, you're, when you meditate on Scripture, you are reminding yourself of things that are true. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And by the way, when I say meditate, I don't want you to think about getting into the lotus position and chanting, um, into the vastness of space. All right? The Bible is... Um, That's the Eastern idea of meditating, which is to empty your mind. The biblical idea of meditating is actually really means deep thinking. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with truth and just mulling it over. Here's how the Bible describes meditating. It it pictures a cow chewing the cud. Now, what does that mean? Because a cow doesn't just eat grass. It eats the grass. Then as it swallows it, Uh, the gastric juices start working it, then it does this like urge to regurge, you know, kind of throws it up into its mouth and then it starts chewing on it more because now it has renewed flavor and it, uh, sorry, it squeezes every ounce of nutrient out of this grass until it's finally digested. That's what the Bible is talking about when it says to meditate. I mean, just squeeze every ounce of juice that you can out of that verse, that passage, that section, that, that chapter. And, and listen, if you already know how to worry, then you already know how to meditate on Scripture. You just play it over and over and over and over in your mind. Do that with the Bible. So why is Jesus then talking about clothing? One, because clothing in that culture was actually way more expensive. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to get. It was way more expensive to produce. But clothing, especially in our culture, speaks of status. It speaks of your standing in life. And it's, it's, it's worrying about what others see when they see us. And I mean, think about this. I mean, why do we wear certain brands of clothing? Is it because they're, it's just so much nicer and a much higher quality? Well, at times. But at times, it's not really the case. Uh, so I guess it's about two years ago. I was I went to the uh, Lacoste store. You know that, you know that brand Lacoste. They have the little alligator on their shirts. So I go to the Lacoste store with my son. I wanted to get a polo shirt, and uh, I picked one up. And I was like, wow, this one's really nice. And then I saw that the one shirt was ninety bucks. I was in shock. So the clerk 
walks up to Xander and I after I was like $90. I could almost buy a gallon of gas for that. And, uh, and so, sorry, I, I can't even help myself. And so the clerk walks up to Xander and I and says, hey, can I help you? And I said, yes, I would like a polo that doesn't cost $90. And he says, oh, I have one that's 79. And, uh, and he shows me the ugliest purple striped thing I had ever seen. Kind of like that, that dude in the back there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. Uh, so, <laughs> so just, no, that's, I'm just kidding. So, but I saw that purple thing, and I'm like, dude, is that a joke? And uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was hideous. And, uh, and, and I, so I say to him, because I was wearing a polo at the time, and I said, I, I have this Banana Republic polo that I bought on clearance for 20 bucks. Um, I said, could you explain to me why yours is $70 better? And he says, well, it has the Lacoste logo. And I said, I said, that little alligator, that's your issue? I said, mine has an elephant. And let's be honest, if a fight were to break out in this store between an elephant or an alligator, I'm on Dumbo's side, not TikTok crop. And uh, anyway... After they asked me to leave the store, I had this revelation. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Uh, I had this revelation that the words of Jesus were true, that like, we're, not paying, uh, we're, we're not paying for a polo shirt because if you just want a polo shirt, they're like 15 bucks on Amazon. But we're paying 90 bucks for a 10 cent piece of string in the form of a logo that makes us feel like we've achieved a certain status in life. Because that's the only thing that a shirt without a logo and a shirt with an alligator logo can do is tell the world that we've reached a certain level of success and we deserve respect. And by the way, and I think this is important because I said this in the first service and there were some guys that were like this as they were walking out. And I'm like, so listen, if you're wearing a Lacoste shirt, that's fine. The Lacoste shirts aren't evil. They aren't manufactured by the devil. Um, maybe priced by him, but we're not sure. Um, <laughs> But, um, but listen, it's that worrying about status and what other people think creates anxiety. And the reason is because we're living for the approval of other people. And listen, we're living for the approval of other people who don't even care about us. And it's so easy to get caught up in this. It's the same reason why someone on your block buys a car and then there's like this outbreak on your street, Right? It's like all these people, they're all going to the dealership too because there's just this thing that happens. Like, well, why did they get a car? Do they deserve to get a car? They don't even mow their lawn. And then, you know, they leave their cans out too long. You know what I mean? And we tell them, why don't I deserve this? And we go into all this thing and it creates this anxiety that God wants to free us from when we trust him. And here's how God wants to free us. And this is what he says in verse 31. He says, therefore, in light of all those things, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And if you pause there, give me your attention. Last thing is that I need to find freedom through trust. Now, Jesus is getting to the point of what he's been building to up to this moment. And that is, he's asking believers to act like believers. 
And he's saying this. He's saying, don't worry about the things that people who don't know God worry about. Because they don't know they have a heavenly father who loves them. They think they've got to slug it out, grind it out for themselves, because no one else on heaven or earth is seeking to help them but they themselves. And listen, for those of us who are believers, you and I are different. We have a heavenly father who is seeking to glorify himself in our lives and provide for us in the process. And at times, listen, this passage gets twisted um, in, in this effort to sound spiritual but actually be kind of lazy. And the point of Jesus's message isn't that our goal should be to not care because the options are worry or don't care. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a big chasm in between the two because he's not saying don't care about the future or your kid's college or how to pay the bills or don't make plans. Jesus isn't saying don't care. He's saying this, you don't have to act like you're alone because you have a heavenly father who's with you and who's for you. In fact, in Proverbs 21 um, it, it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So this isn't either or. You know, you worry or you plan. Instead, we should be diligent to plan for the future, but we don't have to worry like we're on our own. And that's why Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He knows you need to pay the bills. He knows you need to plan for retirement, that you need to have a plan for the kids to go to college. He knows that. That's why the, the, the word know is this Greek word oida, O-I-D-A, which means to, to understand or to recognize. So it's not that God simply has this intellectual idea that um, the future matters, right? No, that the bills matter and that the, the, the kids matter. No, um, he's saying this, that your heavenly father knows, he understands. Jesus is telling us that if we, but if we make these things the focus of our lives, thinking that we're alone, to try and make it happen, we will worry ourselves into the grave. And that's not a life that any of us want. Instead, what Jesus offers is a different way to deal with what creates anxiety and worry in our lives, and it's completely counterintuitive. And he says that the solution to this is to redirect our focus. And so he says this, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and all these things that you've been worried about, they'll all work themselves out. Now, don't read that too fast because I, I think sometimes we've read that before and we just, you know, I want you to listen to what it says. Seek first the kingdom in contrast to all the other things that we've talked about that we could seek first. He says that we should seek something else first. He says, seek the kingdom of God first. Now, we've heard that before, but what does it mean? What does it mean practically in the context in which we're talking about? Well, it means three things as we close. So let me uh, give you the first one. The first is this. How do I seek first God's kingdom? It means this. Number one, I need to put God first financially. The context of this section, remember, it starts with therefore, which connects us to the section before about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, about you can't serve God and mammon. And that is, it changes our attitude towards money. And how do we put God first financially? And, and, and for believers, it's giving first. It's choosing to trust God over mammon or money. I shared this verse a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy chapter 14, that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Because every time you and I give, it's a statement of our faith, that we're putting God first and trusting God over anything else or anyone else. But listen, for those of us who are believers and don't give, this is the reason why we don't do it. It's because of fear. It's because we don't think there's going to be enough and we really don't trust that God is going to provide so there will be. And 
when we think there won't be enough, what happens is there's a shift that, that takes place where we go from putting the kingdom first to putting something else first. And that is almost a guarantee that there won't be enough because you start shutting God out of your financial world. And that is an area you don't want to shut him out of. But when you decide that you believe that your heavenly father knows and understands and recognizes what you need, there is freedom, there's joy, and there's peace. Here's the second thing is that how do I put seek first the kingdom? And that is that I need to put God first mentally. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Twice in this section, Jesus commands us. He says, look at the birds and consider the lilies. And that doesn't mean just give them a glance. This, that word literally is talking about thorough study. Uh, it, it's, it's such thorough study that you understand it inside and out. Um, have you ever had this thing where you got in your car and you had so much on your mind that you pulled up to your driveway and then you thought, how in the world did I get here? You have no recollection of all the turns that you made and all that. You just, you just got home basically by memory. So we moved into a new house a little over a year ago. And about two months after we moved, I was driving with my son and we were driving home. We were talking and I had a bunch of things and I, I'm, I constantly live like this. So I've got a million things on my mind and I'm just mulling through it. And then I'm talking to my son about some stuff. And so I pull up to our house and as I pull up to our house, there's these two white Teslas in the driveway. And I say, what? And I say out loud, I'm like, what are two white Teslas doing in my driveway? And my son says, dad, the people who bought our house own two Teslas. You drove to our old house. And, uh, and it was like, I was like, what? And then I look, I was like the end of, you know, the, if you ever saw um, the sixth sense, I had that Bruce Willis moment at the end where you're like, what? You know? And then I was like, okay, kid, don't tell your mom. Uh, and so I was like a, my, it was like a major senior moment that I was having. And, uh, but here's the thing, right? There's this muscle memory. And when, when you know something so well, and this is what Jesus is talking about, that you study it and you know it well. And G, he's saying, if you study the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, you know what you will find is that your heavenly father is on the case and not leaving anybody hanging. Your heavenly father is feeding the birds. But you know what's interesting is that they have to leave the nest to look for the food, but God is faithful to meet them. And this is the balance between planning and trusting, knowing that God will meet my needs when I'm faithful to do my part. When I'm faithful, when we're faithful, God starts opening doors. He makes it rain. He puts people in my life that I never would have met uh, on my own. And he, but he does that once we're faithful. And then thirdly and lastly, and then we'll close. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? It means that I put God first relationally. How do I put God first in my marriage? Well, let me ask, it a different question, ask the question a different way. What are you worried about in your marriage? Well, I'm worried that we aren't on the same page. And here's the challenge is that for a lot of us, we're both writing two different pages. And then we don't talk about the pages. We just kind of expect the other person to know what's on my page and then meet the needs of the things that are on my page. And, and there's just a, and that just the recipe for problems and unmet expectations and a whole bunch of other things. But if we'll do something very different, and that is get on God's page, that problem goes away. Now, I know that sounds like spiritual jargon. Like, what does that even mean, like get on God's page? It's, it, let me explain it this way. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus taught us to pray. And one of the things that he says is that you pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When you decide that in your marriage, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, life gets a lot easier. You know why? Because what is God's will in your life, in your marriage? 
Here's, here's, and you don't have to wonder because there's a whole bunch of verses about it, but I'm going to tell you what it is. It is a husband and a wife who serve each other. And when you've made a decision in your marriage that I want not my will to be done in my marriage, I want God's will to be done in my marriage, and God's will in my marriage and your marriage is that a husband and a wife serve each other. Now what's happened is you've made your relationship a place where you serve not a place where you're seeking to be served. And it takes all of the pressure off. And listen, when two people make their marriage a race to the back of the line to see who can, they can, they can outserve each other and bless the other person, that is going to be a happy home. But you don't get that result if you're seeking for your will to be done. I mean, how do you put, how do you put God's kingdom first? Um, how do you seek first the kingdom with your kids? What are you worried about with your kids? And we're all worried about the same thing. We're worried about their future. We're worried about college. And we're worried that they don't end up marrying a loser. And, uh, and I, I, I think about that too. Uh, and I, I think about that probably more than I should. And uh, I, we invest so much into our kids only to have some knucklehead come along who I've had no influence on, on his life. And, and I, when I think about that, I do. I, I feel like I will turn to violence. And, um, and I'm going to end up having a prison ministry that I run from the inside. And, um, and I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about what I would call it. I've got, two, I've got it down to two names. Uh, one is Sermons from the Clink. Uh, that's one. And then the other is Shanked by the Bible. And uh, so I'm not sure. I figure once I get in, I'll, I'll, I'll nail it down. But um, no, but listen, I trust that my kids are going to make good decisions. But, but once again... You, you, you worry about it, but you know, the, you know what the best indicator of your kid's future is? What you do with them right now. So you know what I want? I want my kids to be wise. And that has been my prayer for my kids every day. Every day. And say, well, don't you want them to do all these things? Yeah, I want them to do a whole bunch of things, but I want them to be wise. Um, and so I put God's word in them daily. We bring them to environments. And listen, if you have kids teenagers, middle schoolers, they need to be here on Friday night for youth where they can build quality relationships and grow. You bring them to church, even if they're tired or they don't want to. And, and, and so, um, and, and let me just tell you, cause I know sometimes kids are like, ah, oh, but I'm tired and I don't want to go. And it's like, man, what do I say as a parent? Just, you may want to write this down. This is, this is what you say. You say, get ready. You just say this. I'm so tired. I want to go. I'm like, Oh, all right. Um, I don't care. Oh, but I was up late. I was, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, okay. I don't care. And, and it's just, uh, that's it. Why? Because right now we have the ability, while they're in our home, to instill this discipline in them. But someday, we won't. And if you want to know what life looks like when you don't take your kids to church regularly, ask around. Talk to some parents who didn't, and here's what you'll find. You will find parents who wish they could build a time machine to go back and change that. So listen, do whatever it takes to get your kids here. Because we live in a culture where parents essentially worship their kids. And, uh, and, and it's like, if the kids don't want to do it, we don't do it because everything is about the kids being happy. Let me just give you a little insight into life. Life is not about your kids being happy. Your kids are going to have a boss someday. And you know what your boss thinks about your kids being happy? He's never thought about it because he doesn't care. And so 
And I don't know if you figured this out yet. You know God's main goal for your life isn't you being happy. And, so, and by the way, it's not because God wants you to be miserable, but God has higher goals for you. God wants you to be holy and godly and faithful in your life. And that should be our goal for our kids, that they be holy and godly and faithful in this life. And so instead of working real hard for our kids' will to be done on earth, why don't we work real hard to get God's will done in our kids while they are still under our care? Because listen, the reality is this. You can't force someone into a relationship with God. Uh, You can't. But... You can create an environment where the encounter can happen. And that's God's desire. That's God's desire for you and for me and for us is that we experience the peace, the joy, and the freedom that comes when we put God first. And you know what will happen? We will live without a care in the world. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you that you you love us that you haven't left us to slug it out by ourselves and instead you want us to know you, to trust you and experience your provision in every area of our lives. So God, we want to trust you. We want to seek first the kingdom and put you first and see what happens, the amazing things that'll take place in our lives when we do. So we pray you do your work and we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.